Well, good evening, friends, and a warm welcome to our Virgo full moon group meditation this evening here in the Lucistrust Library in London. And of course, a very warm welcome to all of you out there in cyberspace too. It is lovely to report that we are noticing increasing numbers of people from various parts of the world tuning in and contributing to both phases of this planetary service, the full moon and the new moon cycle. It's wonderful to see so many of you committing yourselves to participate in this work. Of course, we have always known that it has been of a planetary dimension, but now it is truly and demonstrably so in the minds and hearts of so many. And how important it is to have this perspective. We are living in a time when there is an increasing tension between those of us who know that all humanity is one, that we are collectively the planetary center of spiritual creativity, and those who see their particular identities of nationalism, of culture, of religion, as predominantly important in their lives, and as such, separate, and of course, superior to all others. They cannot, or will not, see themselves and their political and cultural identity as seamless parts of the fabric of the whole, and to which they can give a meaningful and beautiful contribution. So, on the one hand, there are those of us who have a united vision of the world and of humanity's loving, cooperative and destined path into a shared future with its crucial role in the planetary life. On the other hand, there are those who still inhabit the old paradigm of personality competition embody and embody what has memorably been called the Jack Principle. As long as I'm all right, Jack, it doesn't matter what happens to the rest. From a truer and more spiritual perspective, we know that humanity is gradually becoming the planetary light bearer, bringing spiritual energy to all life forms, in particular to what are often referred to as the lower kingdoms in nature. <clears throat> Increasingly, I think, it is surely better to refer to these as the pre-human kingdoms. It has been poetically pointed out that God sleeps in the mineral, dreams in the vegetable, stirs in the animal and awakens in man. <clears throat> the Tibetan puts it another way. May I remind you of the occult statement that every living being or manifested life from the planetary Logos down to the tiniest atom, either has been, is, or will be a human being. Now this reveals to us two things. Firstly, that we know we have an essential identity with the life within all forms, from the microscopic to the macrocosmic. It reveals the principle of universality 
This thought is staggering in its implications. It introduces us to the reality of ourselves as intrinsically a part of the one self that lives in each and all. Secondly, and consequent to this, is the recognition of the never-ending path for us as human monads that stretches forward into the infinity of love once consciousness has fully experienced and absorbed the whole gamut of what human life has to offer. This ranges all the way from the extreme selfishness and cruelty of the utterly self-centered person to the selfless, sacrificial love in the life of a world saviour. And of course, it encompasses all the gradations that lie in between these two extremes. We are now at the stage of identifying ourselves with all those who know that they are passing that major tipping point in the evolution of consciousness when they are rejecting their previously held identification with the form and are coming rapidly to realizing their true identification as the soul itself in the form, but not of the form, as the saying goes, non-separative, loving, healing, wanting the best for everyone and deeply committed to a life of group service. So now let us pause for a moment of recollection and of alignment of souls with the divine plan for our world and for all the myriad lives of the different evolutions, seen and unseen, that are upon their chosen paths of development within it. And then we will say together the words of the mantra that many of us use as a noontime recollection and which are now about to appear on your screen. <clears throat> But before we do so, I would like to share with you what the Tibetan says about this mantra, which I find really inspiring. <clears throat> he writes that it is the thought of the free circulation of energy between the three world centers, Shambhala, hierarchy and humanity, which motivates this mantric sentence. And he adds that a study of this will show you how the implication and significance of apparently simple words may be far deeper and far more wide-reaching in effect than you may have been able to conceive. A recognition of this and a creative impassioned use of the imagination may serve to add greater potency to your thought and to your personal will to good as you use the great invocation and this subsidiary mantra. <clears throat> the keynote of the first aspect is sacrifice and of the second, love. The words, therefore, that we too may love and give can produce a contact between the two. So let us now make our pause.
we know, O Lord of life and love, about the need. Touch our hearts anew with love, that we too may love and give. I would like to stress the phrase that Tibetan uses, a creative, impassioned use of the imagination. In these difficult times, we all need to strive our utmost to help magnetize the vision of the better future that can come to birth now, if all disciples, all aspirants and all people of goodwill play their part with stern resolve as the esoteric, uh, esoteric catechism puts it, and we should also add with a joyful enthusiasm. Never before has a vision of realistically possible and good future for all life on the planet been more necessary. For our encouragement, we can know that the abstract ideas for this have already been precipitated into concrete thought forms which are ready to materialize in the world through the sacrificial work of groups around the world. What we can do as a meditating group is to help make these thought forms really desirable to people in their millions and help set their hearts on fire with love and a deep longing for that better future. We are helped in this with the gifts that the constellation Virgo gives us at this time of the year. The Tibetan writes that among other things, Virgo represents the stage of quickening in the womb, when the fetus becomes at last possessed by the overshadowing soul. And this symbolically marks the stage of probation or awakening of the baby leaping in the womb so beautifully described in the New Testament story of what happened to Elizabeth, who was carrying the future John the Baptist when Mary went to visit her. Everywhere, people are now becoming spiritually alive. They are, as it were, leaping in the womb of the form world, preparing to precipitate their birth as souls. They are struggling against the restrictions of the old, worn-out civilization, of cutthroat competition, of a world of business as usual with its win-lose model based upon a philosophy of scarcity, of a world permeated by ideological conflict, which instead of leading humanity forward into a new synthesis, has been mishandled and has instead led to large-scale human impoverishment as well as the degradation of the entire biosphere. This ideological conflict has had a necessary and important part to play in human progress, for it has led to the development of the ability to discriminate, to think through, to understand and implement values but it must now be discarded and make way for a new paradigm of cooperation, which is assuredly a central part of the vision 
of a better future, a win-win future. One of the seed thoughts in their meditation that students in the Arcane School use is each life crisis can lead to extended vision or to a separating wall. And one student from Eastern Europe, perhaps responding to this, wrote as follows about humanity. But the powerful contrasts at work now will bring a wave of change that will create a good or bad place. It depends on who has a stronger imagination. This beautifully highlights the fact that serious crises are facing humanity in our present time. And there are basically two ways to respond to these that are challenging us to the core of our being. The first leads to an extended vision. More to say about this in a moment. The second leads us all to separating walls. And how interesting to note the selfish, fear-driven propensity to erect these separating walls that has existed since the end of the Second World War. The most obvious was the Iron Curtain between the Soviet Communist bloc and the democratic and capitalist West. Only a few years later, another barrier came into being roughly on the 38th parallel that divided and still divides North and South Korea. Nearer our own time, we continue to witness the building of walls, for example, to separate the state of Israel from the surrounding Palestinian lands. We all know that those who build separating walls have eventually to demolish them. And at this time, following the recent death of that great world server, Mikhail Gorbachev, we can see both the necessity and the pain that was involved in removing the Iron Curtain, for which he and his small group were such a political catalyst. And we also note with gratitude the growth of freedoms and good relationships that initially eventuated from it. And yet there still seems a great appetite to continue to build walls. As Pope Francis said a few years ago in response to President Trump's avowed intent to build a wall between the US and Mexico, societies should build bridges, not walls, to encourage good relations among people. And he amplified this later in a papal visit to Morocco. In the dialogue here in Morocco, he said, we saw that we need bridges and we feel pain when we see people that prefer to build walls. Why do we have pain? Because those that build walls end up being prisoners of the walls that they have built. On the other hand, those who build bridges go forward. To build bridges is for me something that almost goes beyond the human. It, need, it needs very great efforts. Yes, indeed, this is true. But as the book Agni Yoga expresses it, there can be no obstacle that cannot be overcome by the human will. 
I do not say this as a consolation or for encouragement, but as a thing immutable. And this bears out humanity's present need, not just for goodwill, essential though this is, but for the will to good and that which ought to be. This is where the extended vision is leading us. Disciples of the world have a crucial part to play as they use their unfolding love nature as a springboard to touch and express that mysterious energy which we call the will. The Tibetan tells us that the secret of the will lies in the recognition of the divine nature of man. Only this can evoke the true expression of the will. It has in fact to be evoked by the soul as it dominates the human mind and controls the personality. The secret of the will is also closely tied in with the recognition of the unconquerable nature of goodness and the inevitability of the ultimate triumph of good. This will force is available for right usage, but the power to express it lies in its understanding and in its group use. Now it seems to me that one of the ways in which the spiritual will is finding expression in the life of humanity at the moment is in the efforts of many groups to promote and materialize the principle of sharing. In this respect, it is interesting to note that the cycle now being inaugurated in the world has been called growth through sharing. For the increasing number of disciples within advanced humanity, this means that they can now share the work, the responsibility, as well as what the Tibetan calls the trained reticence of the hierarchy. It might be an idea to briefly try and understand what this work really means for us. Necessarily, there will be major aspects of the work of hierarchy that we have not the faintest idea about and obviously cannot share in. But aspects of it that we can realistically and usefully participate in will surely involve the intuition and transmission of the ideas whose source is the divine plan and whose precipitation into the chaos and conflicting energies that characterize the mind of humanity at the present time is of such great importance. In this way, a steady stream of light is brought into the areas of darkness on the lower mental planes that are obstructing human progress right now. And it almost goes without saying that a major occupation of hierarchy is to maintain the steady radiance of love as a beacon of attractive and magnetic energy. We too can be a part of this. It is this that calls to human beings everywhere, summoning them through freedom to tread the path into the consciousness of the soul with its results of cooperation and right relationships. At the same time as this, the mass of so-called ordinary humanity 
are learning the lessons of economic sharing. And says the Tibetan, my brothers, in this lies the sole hope of the world. This is actually an extraordinary statement. It suggests basically that if we cannot steer humanity in the direction of a new economics of sharing that serves the needs and aspirations of all humanity with a healthy sufficiency and not profligate excesses, that nurtures the one life in its many forms, then we are scuppered. If we look at the field of economics, we find that there is a profound division between those who see in money the precipitation of planetary prana that can facilitate the flow of the necessities of life to every part of the body of humanity. They see money as occupying an analogous position to the blood, which carries life-giving oxygen to every part of the body with a free flow of abundance. In this view, money is the means of loving distribution and a spiritual asset to the, to the developing life of humanity. In contrast to this is its selfish hoarding by the rich, whether it's by the mega corporations whose wealth exceeds some countries' annual budgets, or the world's oligarchs and billionaires, more than 2,700 of them at the moment, and a paralleling condition of extreme want in many of the world's populations. We all know that this condition of maldistribution must end. But we might well ask, how on earth do we turn this global financial juggernaut around when so many of the rich and powerful have so much of a vested interest in its continuance, despite the fact that they must know that that continuance on this path will eventually end in serious tears for everyone. Here it's useful to remember a book that came out about a decade ago called The Spirit Level, Why More Equal Societies Almost Always Do Better, by Kate Pickett and Richard Wilkinson. This book highlights the pernicious effects that inequality has on societies, eroding trust, increasing anxiety and illness, and encouraging excessive consumption. The book shows that for each of 11 different health and social problems, physical health, mental health, drug abuse, education, imprisonment, obesity, social mobility, trust and community life, violence, teenage pregnancies, child well-being, Outcomes of these are significantly worse in more unequal rich countries. Conversely, in societies where there is greater equality, these indicators of social malaise correspondingly decrease. Now, this is where the collective and impassioned use of the imagination that we referred to earlier is so important. And it's wonderful to be able to say that even a brief survey of the internet and social media will reveal so many groups coming up with new and interesting ideas about the economics of sharing, or indeed resurrecting old ones that were never tried properly or which were suppressed when they were tried and proved successful. 
such as happened to the early versions of the various local currency schemes in the late 19th century. Now one imagines that conventional economics is inextricably bound up with an enthusiasm for competition. So it is heartwarming to find a mainstream economist like Jeffrey Sachs saying recently in a conversation with the Prague Finance Institute, I believe that our environmental and social crises are so severe that we need cooperation right now above all of the differences that we might suppose to divide the world. So here we are actually arriving at two visions. One is of a dystopian future of the sort prefigured in George Orwell's 1984 and Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. The other is a vision where people wake up to the finality of the crises humanity is now facing and take the upward path into a better and sustainable future. Together, humanity can do it, I believe. These crises are rather like the muscles of a mother's womb in the birth process, contracting inexorably and, moreover, not relaxing in between the contractions. Without these contractions, the baby would not be born. Similarly, these world crises are forcing the birth of the human soul. They are inexorably contracting around the consciousness of humanity. If humanity cooperates in the process, and there is wonderful evidence of this happening in thinking and practical experiments all around the world, then the outcome is likely to be well, and the human soul will be born on a large scale. Let us remind ourselves what that arcane school student wrote that I referred to earlier. But the powerful contrasts at work now will bring a wave of change that will create a good or bad place. It depends on who has a stronger imagination. So now we will go into our meditation. And because we are doing this as part of a serving, soul-inspired world group, let us make our imagination beautiful and strong and help the good to prevail. So our meditation, we say together, group fusion, lower interlude, and the great invocation at the end. <clears throat> and to remind us the keynote that we will be using in the meditation is the keynote for Virgo. I am the mother and the child, I God. I matter am. <clears throat> Group fusion. We affirm the fact of group fusion and integration within the heart center of the new group of world servers, 
mediating between hierarchy and humanity. I am one with my group brothers and all that I have is theirs. <clears throat> May the love which is in my soul pour forth to them. May the strength which is in me lift and aid them. May the thoughts which my soul creates reach and encourage them. <clears throat> alignment. We project a line of lighted energy towards the spiritual hierarchy of the planet, the planetary heart, the great ashram of Sanat Kumara, and towards the Christ at the heart of hierarchy. Extend the line of light towards Shambhala, the centre where the will of God is known. <clears throat> Higher interlude. We hold the contemplative mind open to the extraplanetary energies 
streaming now into Shambhala and radiating through hierarchy. We use the creative imagination to try and see the three planetary centers, Shambhala, hierarchy and humanity, gradually coming into alignment and into play.
meditation. We reflect on the seed fault for Virgo. I am the mother and the child. I, God, I, matter, am. <clears throat>
precipitation. <clears throat> Use the imagination to visualize the energies of light, love, and the will to good pouring throughout the planet and becoming anchored on earth in prepared physical plane centers through which the divine plan can manifest. And we use the sixfold progression of divine love. From Shambhala to hierarchy to Christ at the center of hierarchy. The new group of world servers. people of goodwill everywhere in the world. And the many physical centers of distribution. Lower interlude. As a group, we refocus our consciousness within the periphery of the great ashram. And together we say, In the center of all love I stand. From that center, I, the soul, will outward move. From that center, I, the one who serves, will work. May the love of the divine self be shed abroad in my heart, through my group, and throughout the world. And we visualize the downpouring spiritual inflow released from Shambhala through the hierarchy and streaming into humanity through the channel we have prepared.
Let us consider how these inpouring energies are establishing the pathway of light for the coming world teacher, the Christ.
distribution. We will now sound the great invocation. And as we do this, we visualize the outpouring of light and love and power from the spiritual hierarchy through the five planetary inlets of London, Darjeeling, New York, Geneva and Tokyo and irradiating the consciousness of the whole human race. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into the minds of men. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into the hearts of men. May Christ return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide the little wills of men, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the race of men, let the plan of love and light work out and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. Thank you, friends, so much. Now, the Virgo full moon is tomorrow morning at one minute to 11. And in just over a fortnight's time, 
there is our online New Moon meet meeting, which will be on Monday the 26th of September at 6pm. And the next full moon meditation is in Libra. And of course, it will be held here in the Lucis Trust Library, also online too, of course. And this is on Sunday, the 9th of October, three o'clock in the afternoon. So thank you all very much. Safe journey to home for those who have to travel and retreat to the armchair for those who are at home already. <laughs> <laughs>